Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, there are three holidays specifically within the context of the local church that we see an uptick of volunteer, or excuse me, of, of visitors or guests that come. Uh, you might guess the first two. The first one is Easter. That's the typical day when a lot of people will invite a friend or invite a neighbor or family member. You'll see that at Christmas, whatever the Christmas Sunday might be, wherever that falls, the holiday. Sometimes it might even be a Christmas Eve service. And then you also will see it on Mother's Day. And part of the reason for that is because a lot of times mothers will ask for their children to come and join them on Mother's Day. They don't necessarily always ask for a gift or something specific, but one of the things that I recognize, and perhaps you do as well, is that many mothers on Mother's Day just want to spend some time, not doing anything, but just want to spend some time with their children. And so this morning, as we step into this recognition of what it means to spend time together, I, I think about the different uh, aspects of Mother's Day specifically. My, my time growing up, particularly when I was younger, I was a project kid, and I still like to do projects now as an adult. But as a kid, I would make things for my mom. I'd put together a bunch of uh, you know, scraps of paper or scraps of wood and try to uh, bring that in some way into some kind of a creation that I could present to my mom. And I even remember doing that uh, when, uh, when Mother's Day or her birthday would come around. And I have now a project kid at home. And this past weekend, I was outside, I was working on a project in the yard, and I was putting some things together, and my project kid asks me to come over and help him. He had gathered up some of the scraps, the cutoffs of the wood that I was using, and he wanted me to put them together in a certain way, and he grabbed some nails and a hammer, and he was trying to put these things together, and immediately I recognized this project was going to be more than just hammering in a couple of nails, but it was going to require some real work. And so we went, and we got spray paint, and we got everything together. We got the nail gun out and we, we put this thing together so that it could be something presented to mom on Mother's Day. And I saw him beaming uh, with a smile from ear to ear. I saw him as he brought projects home that he'd worked on from school uh, from the week. And he brought all these things together and he brought them to mom and she opened them. It's really the only gift she opened this morning. She opened them this morning and uh, there's, there's some more waiting till we get home, I shall say. Uh, but she opened them this morning. And she was so happy. But the thing that I recognize, the thing that probably you recognize, is it wasn't necessarily even about the gift or about the thought of the gift. It was about being with her, her son on Mother's Day. My, my son, myself, probably you can recognize this as well, that moms love the gifts we give them. And perhaps you are a person who your uh, love language is receiving gifts, but it's not simply just about the gifts, but it's about being with our loved ones. For the first four weeks of this series, we've talked about revival. We've talked about this revival of, of, of doing specific things, of bringing forth an opportunity for God to move, to work, We've talked about the fact that God calls for repentance. He calls for us to step forward in different spiritual disciplines. We, we talked about really the fact that God has ways or has created channels for us to engage or embrace him. 
But today, we're going to take a moment as we walk through this sermon and through the passage we're going to study today, and we recognize that God doesn't always ask us to do something for him. He doesn't always ask for us to create or to bring forth something for him. Oftentimes, what God desires from us is the same thing that our mothers may desire from us on Mother's Day, and that is this, to simply just be in his presence. And the same with our mothers, they just desire for us to be in proximity, in presence, to be present with them. If you're a note taker, the first thing is this. Revival is not merely about our actions, not merely about what we do, about the things we could accomplish or the things that God calls us to do, but it's about his interaction. It's about being present. It's about being with God. It's about this, this time of relationship with the creator of all, with the, with the Son and with the Spirit who dwells with us today. And so as we look at this revival, and we've been exploring revivals in Scripture throughout the course of the last month, as we look at this revival to do today, we embrace a, a recognition that Jesus himself brought a revival that we are still part of today, the Christian movement. And this revival wasn't necessarily itemized to one specific moment or one specific action. Instead, it was a lifestyle of presence with people. And so there were miracles he did and accomplished. There were relationships he had. There was times when he preached and he taught. There were different things that Christ did, all of them contributing to this revival. And so today we're going to look specifically at one interaction he had with two women, with two sisters, in fact. And it's recorded in Luke's gospel in chapter 10. And as Jesus is sending out the disciples, he's talking, he's preaching, he's, he's sharing parables. He pauses for a moment with these two women. And we learn so much about the desire of God, about the call of God, about what he he uh, would also one of us, but also what he desires from us. You see, the presence of God that we experience and discuss today is just that. It's Jesus Christ himself, the presence of the Savior. And while he walked into revival that was already taking place through the ministry of John the Baptist, the obedience of John the Baptist, we also see that all the teachings, all the miracles, everything that he did contributed to the revival we experience now. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, reads like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had, that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her, tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. And I, I wonder about the tone here because there's this little bit of a, hey, there's a lot of work to do. She's kind of skirting her responsibility. Like, yeah, of course, I want to sit and talk to the Savior of the world too, but somebody's got to do the dishes and prepare the meal. Oh, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And here he's directing this focus. He's bringing her into this moment. Mary has chosen what is better, 
and it will not be taken away from her. And that's a bit confusing because certainly we recognize we serve a God who has a call for us. His great commission is to step out, to make disciples. What does this mean? What does it look like to live in the presence of God? You know, there's recordings throughout scripture of how God brought transformation through his own actions, through the miracles of Jesus, through the preaching and the teaching of prophets, through the repentance of sins. However, this story is different. Because this story doesn't require any action at all. Instead, it requires transformation or brings transformation through the absence of action. Through doing nothing but being in the presence of God. And so the question perhaps that you might ask is, okay, well that's interesting. Well right now, I guess just sitting here in this place with other believers in the presence of God's holy word, is that enough to bring revival? Let's just talk about that for a minute by answering this question, what brought revival? First things first, in verse 38 it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. This is symbolic, but it's also key to recognizing the start. Right here, Martha opened her home. She opened the door to Jesus. You know, we serve a God who made the first move. We serve a God who sent his son, Jesus, to this earth and made the first move for us. All of the religions of the world are, are based upon the individual making their way, attempting to try to earn their way into the presence of their God, into the heart of their God. Well, this one religion, Christianity, in and of itself is more than a religion, it's a relationship, and it's a recognition that humankind's desire, humankind's response, I should say, is just that, a response. Because God already made the first move and therefore calls us to open the door to make a secondary response or a reply by opening the door to him. Revelation 3.20 paints it like this. Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And so the illustration is seen like this. The house is there. You're inside the house. Jesus comes to the house. He knocks on the door. He doesn't bust in the door. He doesn't open the door himself. He doesn't jump in a window. Instead, he stands at the door and knocks. The invitation is granted. And therefore, he's asking you and I inside the house to open the door willfully out of our own free will and say, Jesus, I want you to move into my house. I want you to indwell within. I want you and your spirit to be my guiding light. And therefore, I open the door, which Martha figuratively and literally did in this historical account. Though this passage was directed at the church of Laodicea, this, this passage in Revelation, the original author recognized the, the nominal or lukewarm attitude of the church at that time. And he was stating, let Jesus in so he can transform you. So he can change, so he can bring forth a change, I should say, in you. And not just in this case, but let him into your home. Let him on your boat, so to speak. Let him into your heart so that he can transform and bring revival. My grandmother is one that uh, never met a stranger. In fact, every week they have a meal on Sunday afternoon, and I remember this growing up. Anybody was welcome around the table. In fact, there were so many people that were welcome, eventually they took the chairs from around the dining room table, and all that was was a serving table, and you'd have to find a spot somewhere else in the house to sit. You could sit in a chair, a couch, maybe sit on a table on the floor, but there were so many people that anybody was allowed, anybody was able to come and be part of this, to live in that place together, to experience that moment together. The door was open for anyone to come. And Christ calls us to open the door to him and to allow him in. And the point is this, the path to revival begins by opening the door for God's presence. 
The path to revival starts by saying yes to God, by saying, God, I want to experience revival. I want to experience you. I open the door willfully. I allow you in so that you might transform my heart. Because after all, and you saw that on the t-shirt that Austin provided, and, and many of you have already picked those up, revival starts here, not necessarily in this building or any space, but right here in my heart. And if I want to see revival around me, if I want to see God move, oftentimes the call starts within ourselves for him to change and transform us by us giving up or sacrificing whatever it is we're holding out. Or maybe by simply, literally opening the door. Because you can know about God. I can know all the stats about God. I can understand all the things that he's done. But there's something different, something real, something valuable, something transforming about knowing him personally and allowing him to know me too in relationship. And so... As we look at this recognition, we open the door because revival starts here. I know the roast is getting done, so I'm going to move forward. I'm just going to keep, keep going. Verse 39 reads like this. She had a sister. This is talking about Martha who opened the door and let Jesus in. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Get that. Not just working, but she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And here we see that Jesus is in, at this point he's in the house, he's with these women, and we see two different avenues to which they engage him. One engages his presence, sitting at his feet to embrace this time together. The other attempts to go about working for him, serving him. I remember specifically when my grandfather on my mother's side would come to visit. He lived in Canada, so we didn't visit often. And as we knew he was coming and we were leading up to that, typically what would happen is my mom would be doing some preparations, getting everything together, working for him. And then after all of that work, we'd get to this point where grandpa and his wife would come. And when they would come, we would do this thing that was different than any other time. And what we called was visiting. Anybody ever visit before? I love visiting now. It's fun as an adult. But when I was a kid, visiting wasn't fun. Because when you visit, you can't watch TV. When you visit, you can't play with your Ninja Turtle action figures. When you visit, you can't, I don't know, run around and scream and do what kids do. At least that's what the kids do that I see, right? So you, you, can't, you can't do those things. Instead, we would sit and we would visit and we would talk. But the thing that I recognize about that is I look back, even as an adult now, when I was a child then, is those were the moments that were most formative as I engaged with my grandfather. I got to know him because I was in his presence. I heard about stories in his life. I heard about different things. I gained an appreciation for him. My relationship grew not by the work that we did to prepare for him to come or even the work that we did while he was there, but instead that face-to-face -face interaction, that engagement together. And the second point we learned from this about revival is that the path to revival avoids the dangers of temporal distractions. Can I just tell you, the to-do list is never going to be completely to-done, right? That's never going to happen. There's always going to be something else on the list to do. If you're a homeowner, you know this. As soon as you finish this masterpiece project, guess what? The, the faucet over here, it's leaking. This room over here, it needs painted. And the lawn always needs mowed. And so the reality is there's always going to be temporal things that need to be, quote, done. But at the same time, the Spirit, God himself, calls us to live in his presence, to be in his presence. You know, here's what I recognize about this. God recognized that there was always stuff to be done. And even in that, he said, you know what? I want you once a week to just take a moment and to breathe 
and to be in my presence. In fact, God loved us so much, he created an entire day, which we are celebrating in this moment on the Sabbath, to just worship and to be in his presence, to pause from all the things that we have to, quote, do to simply just be with him. He didn't do that so that we would feel guilty because one day a week we didn't do the work we needed to do. No, he did that. He created that as a gift so that you and I could be recalibrated. We could be refreshed. We could be re-engaged into this time with the God who loves us so much. There's different reasons why we're distracted. I don't know what your distraction is. Sometimes it might be that we have a personal agenda. We've got a lot of stuff we need to do. Sometimes maybe we're distracted by physical pain or, or, or mental anguish. We're distracted by a to-do list. Sometimes we're distracted by pride. And this seems interesting, but the reason we're distracted by pride is because sometimes we think if this is going to get done, I have to do it. As if God isn't big enough to do it without us. He allows us to be part of it. He could do it on his own, but he lets us step in and be part of that process. And therefore recognizing that when we take that rest, oftentimes he can do more through us and, and at rest than we can do in all of the time, talent, and treasure that we put forward. In fact, I, I realize this specifically that in most cases, when God is calling us to step forward, he's not asking us to work so that we might impress or engage him. Instead, it's a response to what he's already done. The temporal distractions of this world are ultimately there in, in a lot of reasons, simply for obviously things that we have to do, but simply for distraction that Satan attempts to try to throw at us. Christ is though calling for what's called sanctification. And sanctification is kind of a big word that means intimacy with him, relationship, growth with him. In fact, it's defined the action of making or declaring something holy. The action or process of being freed from sin or purified. The action of causing something to be morally right or acceptable. And can I tell you right now, you can't sanctify yourself. I can't sanctify you. You can't sanctify your neighbor. We can only be sanctified or made holy through God and through our time and our presence presence with him. And so if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow in relationship with Christ, you want to grow in this sanctifying holiness measure, it's not about the works that you do. Those are simply an outcome of this process together. Instead, it's about living in the presence of God. All accomplished by him, not by us. Therefore, embracing his presence in all these things unleashes the transformation in our lives. And I'll say it again, revival, revival starts here. And as the passage continues, Jesus is embracing this kind of conflict between these two sisters who have differing opinions on how things should work and what should be taking place. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And I'm going to pause for just a second because this is actually pretty hilarious. So there are some inside jokes in each family, right? We've got an inside joke in my family uh, from when I grew up where I apparently at one point was whining in the same regard and saying, tell her about one of my sisters, my parents. And they still do that to me today. So when I read this, I can't help but smile. But now you're in on the joke and uh, I'm the butt of it, apparently. But in that case, in verse 41, it continues. Jesus' response, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And why has Mary chosen what is better and it will be given to her uh, or not be taken away from her? Why has she chosen what is better? Because she chose to live, to sit, to dwell in the presence of a holy God. 
Hear this. He can accomplish more while you and I are at rest than we can do with all of our strength, all of our time, all of our effort, all of our action. Did you hear that? He can accomplish more while you and I are at rest than we can do with everything that we have in all ways because he is greater. He is all-powerful. He is the one that brings forth actual transformation, not us. I'm recognizing this more and more when I start my day specifically, and most days I will start, um, especially here in the office, I'll start with, with Bible study and prayer. And I usually use at least the first full hour of the day in taking time to read the scripture, allowing God to lead me and to guide me. You know what I found through this? I found the real theme. I found the real reality. I found the real outcome of God's economy versus my economy, particularly as it, as it pertains to time. For whatever reason, when I start the day, when I start my day with an hour of prayer, an hour of Bible study, somehow I am I'm more accomplished by the end of that day. I get more, quote, done. I feel more fulfilled. I feel more empowered. I feel more in, in, to embrace or in the will of God because somehow in his economy, he's able to multiply the remainder of the time because of what he's done within my heart and within my spirit. And so it's not about, oh, I'm losing out on this time, or I got to make some time at the end or at the beginning of the day or whatever that might be. Instead, it's about investing this time because I want to grow in my relationship with Christ. And somehow he uses that to multiply what's left over. In some regard, work can become this pride issue. And if we think we have to do it all the time, we squelch God's goodness and the gift that he has for us. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 says, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And when he gives us this rest, these Sabbath moments, this Sabbath day, what he's asking for us to do is embrace this gift. Think about it. If today you give a gift to your mother, or you're a mother and you receive the gift, and you just, as the gift giver, you see mom take that gift and say, oh, that's great, and you just kind of throw it away in the trash. Or, or maybe as the mom, you take it and you're like, oh, this isn't really what I wanted, and you don't even open, you just throw it away. Think about the reality of what it looks like to reject a gift. God has given you this gift with purpose, with desire, because he wants to see you thrive and be filled and live a life here and in eternity eternity that, that glorifies him and that allows you to experience his grace and his goodness. He did so that we might rely upon him in our rest, so that we might recognize our insufficiency and experience his provision in all of it. And the third point is this, the path of revival comes from beginning, from being, excuse me, in the presence of God. Comes from being in his presence. Verse 42, only one thing was needed. Not this long to-do list, but instead only one thing was needed. To be in the presence of a holy God. And once again, I say this. Revival, revival starts right here. So at this, at this point, we recognize the true heart of God. Not that, he gets, that we get busy and we, we, we have to get things done. But instead, he desires to rest with us. Because that's the other thing about the Sabbath. It's not just about resting or being absent from doing work. It's about being able to be in his presence, about being able to dwell with him and be able to dwell with the God creator and, and, and embrace his goodness, embrace his love, embrace his presence. And so the bottom line, the final bottom line is this. The path of revival requires not our action, right back to the beginning, not our action, but his interaction. Not our works, but instead interaction with him. I read this story today as a reflection of what it looks like to be in the presence of another, to be in the presence in this specific instance of a mother who is supportive, who leads, who guides, who brings forth an opportunity for God to work. Ed Hill, who pastored Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, tells a story 
of how his mama loved and prayed, how his mother's love and prayers changed his life. During the height of the depression, Hill's real mother, who had five children of her own, didn't have enough food to go around, so she sent four-year-old Ed to live with a friend in a small country town called Sweet Home. Ed just called her mama. And as he was growing up in Sweet Town, Mama displayed remarkable faith, which led her to have big plans for young Ed. Against nearly insurmountable obstacles, Mama helped Ed graduate from high school, the only student to graduate that year from the country school, and even insisted that he go to college. She took Ed to the bus station, handed him the ticket and $5 and said, now go off to Prairie View College. Mama is going to be praying for you. Hill claims that he didn't know much about prayer, but he knew that Mama did. When he arrived at the college with a dollar and 90 cents in his pocket, they told him it was, he needed $80 in cash in order to register. And here's how Hill described what happened next. I got in line, and the devil said to get out of line. But I heard my mama saying in my ear, I'll be praying for you. I stood in line on mama's prayer, and soon there was another new student ahead of me, and I began to get nervous, but I stayed in line. And just about that time, the other student got off, got, got all of her stuff and turned away. Dr. Drew touched me on the shoulder, and he said, Are you Ed Hill? I said, Yes. Are you Ed Hill from Sweet Home? Well, yes. Have you paid yet? Not quite. We've been looking for you all this time, he said. I said, well, what do you want with me? He said, we have a four-year scholarship that will pay your room and board, your tuition, and we want to give you $30 a month to spend. And then I heard Mama say, I'll be praying for you. I recognize this story, which is a, a, a true account of how God moves in the midst of relationship, how God moves in the midst of recognizing that when we live in the presence of God, and in this case, we live in the presence of godly counsel, we see God move, we see God transform, we see God move in ways where we would never experience, never imagine, never could do on our own. Because God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are greater than our ways. God works in his own timing and in his own way that we may never experience or understand, I should say, in this life. But we can, we can trust in God in a couple of things. One, that he's all-powerful and he can do all things. And two, that he's good. And because he's all-powerful and because he's good, he works for the good of those who love him. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you now in recognition that we see these two women, these two sisters, and we recognize, God, that yes, there's always going to be work to do, but there's a call that you have for us, which is to embrace you to live in your presence. And so, God, we ask now that you would give us the discernment to know when and how and why and what when it comes to when we should take action and when we should simply dwell with you. God, I pray that you be with us and even those that are not here today to recognize the importance of what it looks like to experience Sabbath and certainly as a family to take time to embrace you and couples or even as an individual to say, God, this is, uh, this is my time I'm giving to you. I'm resting intentionally so that you might move, so you might lead, so you might guide. 
And not in a legalistic way where we do nothing, but instead where we drop the things that we must do so that we might be able to see what you can do in the absence of our work. God, I pray for the mothers that are in this room. I pray for those that are here that may have lost a mother this year, those that that maybe have lost a child this year. God, I pray for those that are here today celebrating with kids or aren't able to celebrate with kids because they, they span the miles somewhere else, wherever that might be. God, I just pray that this day would be one of celebration and reflection. One of looking at the provision that you grant and maybe in times reflecting upon times when we maybe weren't able to receive what we wanted. But God, in all of it, we give it to you, knowing that you are perfect, your timing is right, your comfort is, is, is available for each one of us. We hope in you, we receive mercy and grace in you. We thank you, God, for all that you do, for the way that you work, for the way that you move. In your son's name we pray, amen. Would you hear this benediction as you go? It reads like this. This is from Exodus 33. 13 and 14, not three as it says in the bulletin. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Go today with God. He'll go with you. Go seeking revival and he will give you rest. God bless you. You're dismissed. You're sent out. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.